0: This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveWrite, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. Two months, one week. And three days. That is how long since Russia invaded Ukraine. The war, of course, grinds on. The toll in lives lost and physical destruction has been catastrophic. And if anything, it's harder to make out how or when it might end than it was back on February 24th, the day of the invasion. Our next guest is one of Ukraine's most senior officials, the Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba. I first met and interviewed him in Kyiv right before the war. Earlier today, we reached him again at his office, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Kyiv, and I asked about the latest developments in another part of Ukraine, the devastated southern city of Mariupol. More than 160 civilians were evacuated this week. There are reports today that Russian forces have breached the Azovstal steel plant, that they are inside. Can you confirm? I have...
1: uh probably the most reliable source from Mariupol, Azovstal. Mm -hmm. It is one of the Ukrainian officers who is locked up at Azovstal together with his uh, army fellows and uh, civilians. And usually he texts me or he calls me in the evening uh, to update on the developments. The last message that I received from him was last night. And I haven't heard from him since. I pray that uh, everything is fine. And uh, I'm really looking forward to receiving the message or a call tonight. And he will tell me that everything is fine with him.
0: How many people are still inside this plant?
1: Uh, it's hard to say. Hundreds uh, of civilians. Yeah. Mostly children and uh, women and uh, more than 1,000 uh, Ukrainian soldiers. But it's true that they get bombed every day. It's true that wounded soldiers uh, die because of the lack of proper treatment and because of the new bombings, yeah. and they die after, uh, under the roof of the destroyed shelter. So it's, it's a tragedy when you escape death once, but it reaches you uh, from second attempt.
0: I mean, this this plant is—it's the last holdout. So you said more than a, yes. a, something like a yes. thousand yes. Uh, soldiers, and then hundreds of civilians. Russia says it has captured the city of Mariupol. Has it?
1: No, no. Until until Azovstal holds, Mariupol holds.
0: Mariupol is in Ukrainian hands. You're saying.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. As long as we continue resistance, it means that Russia has not captured the city, whatever their propagandists uh, tell us, uh, tell everyone. But the problem is that Russia ruthlessly attacks Azovstal, trying to kill everyone who is there, destroyed and present uh, Mariupol as their huge success before 9th of May
0: the The ninth of May, the the victory day celebrations that Russia yeah. is gearing up for. Um let me turn to the battle for the East. Um, Pentagon officials here in Washington say they do see Russia making progress, um but they say it's minimal. um that the Russian offensive thus far is anemic, is plotting. That's their words. Do you agree with that assessment? and And how long can Ukrainian forces put up that kind of resistance?
1: Okay, I want you to understand uh, the nature of the battle for Donbass. It looks this way. There is a line that Ukrainian army holds. Trenches, defensive positions. Russia throws on uh, on these lines artillery fire, attacks from the air, and shells. Then, once they believe that uh, they killed everyone and they can advance, they send tanks with infantry to take over our positions. Uh, to their surprise, almost killed Ukrainian soldiers, dig out from the trenches and start shooting back. And we throw them back because the morale of Russian army is very low. They're not ready to fight. And to the contrary, our soldiers are ready to uh, defend, to stand by every inch of our land until death.
0: I do need to ask about uh, unexplained fires, explosions. At strategic locations in Russia, Russia's biggest chemical plant just burned down uh, for reasons not known. Is Ukraine attacking inside Russia?
1: Whatever Ukraine does, Ukraine always defends itself. This is a defensive war. And uh, we defend our country from an aggressive country that is much bigger and stronger than us. But again,
0: striking in- inside um, Russia would be offensive, though not defensive. No.
1: No, I'm not saying it was. I'm not saying we are uh, we are attacking uh, uh, objects in Russia. What I'm saying is that whatever we do, ha- is aimed at defending the country. Imagine theoretically that uh, a missile is heading towards targeting Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And we have theoretically the capacity to shoot it down. Should we wait until it reaches uh, our uh, our city? because we cannot shoot it down in the russian skies if we had the possibility to shoot them down we would uh, we would we would use them because the eventual target is in ukraine and we have to save people uh, and our own houses
0: and i hear you're using the word theoretically so you are uh, not confirming or denying what what is uh, targeting these locations no, in no. russia
1: i think it's the military i think it's the military guys who have to confirm or deny uh, hitting uh, this or that target my point to you is that we are fighting against the enemy who is much stronger and has more resources than we do and everything we do is aimed at saving uh, at defending and saving ukraine we have no aggressive plans towards russia we have no intention to invade russia we have no intention to uh, cross the border between our countries everything we do is aimed at one thing to defend our country and our right to exist <laughs>
0: So that brings me to the last thing to ask you. You're a diplomat. As a diplomat, do you still hold out hope that diplomacy can end this war? Of
1: course, every war ends with diplomacy. This is how history, this is how history works. In the end, uh, it's diplomats who have to sit down and draft and sign an agreement.
0: That would require Russia to negotiate in good faith, though. Do you believe that is possible?
1: You know, the chances to meet a Russian diplomat negotiating in good faith are equal to meeting a Martian on on Earth. But uh, still, we have to be ready to negotiate with them to defend our positions. But as a diplomat, I have to make sure that my country approaches these uh, negotiations in the strongest posi- position possible. And the strengths of our position will depend on the level of, and quality of sanctions imposed against Russia, on the amount and quality of weapons supplied to Ukraine, on the level of isolation of Russia in the world, and on the ability of Ukrainian army to push Russian army back. If we, I can do the three, the three first things to help our army to do the force. And as a diplomat, I'm focused on this. I'm ready to negotiate, but I want my country to be very strong in those negotiations.
0: Dmitry Kaleba, he is the foreign minister of Ukraine. He joined us from the capital, Kiev. Foreign minister, thank you. Great to speak with you. Thank you. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's Chief Investment Strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's Chief Fixed Income Strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths, wherever you get your podcasts.